0: Hello this is
1: your host Paul Harvey at Life, Passion and Business. I realise I put this at the end of the programme most of the time and I also realise I don't often listen to the end of podcasts. So I thought I'd tell you here before we get started. So the first thing is this podcast is not supported in any way. We have no sponsorship. So if you would like to support us do check out the Buy Me A Coffee link on this podcast app and you'll also find it at the website. Okay, before I take you to the podcast, I want to give you a little bit of a reminder about the power of focus and accountability. This is the one tool that will really get you towards the goals you are seeking, towards the path you want to take. So listen to the end to find out more, or check out the link in the show notes. Anyway, let's get you back to the podcast. it's time to explore what it means to live a good life how do we make this experience better and more importantly how do we lead the world to a better
0: place but uh it's i i had a dog and i always said you know when this dog crosses the rainbow bridge then i'm going to take a year leave from this job and i'm going to travel around and maybe i'll work overseas maybe i'll teach overseas i had that in my head but then i decided you know what I'm just I want to go visit places I want to see different countries I want to spend significant time in them so in September 2021 I took the leave and it's really been a fulfilling experience but at the same time it's been a challenging experience because
1: the mindfulness journey is about being conscious of how we live in each moment, and yet most of the time, we actively seek to keep ourselves in distraction with busy stuff and routines. But what if there was no routine? What if you were in a place where you were forced to be conscious of where you are in any one moment? My guest on the show today is Billy Lahr from Minnesota. Now, he grew up on a farm with no interest in farming. He did the college route with the idea of becoming a computer programmer because he liked chat rooms. Well, by accident, he gravitated towards teaching. He lived a normal life, working in education for over 21 years. He became the Dean of Students. Now, if you're not aware, the Dean of Students is the butt of every joke in all those teen movies, that usually bald and over 50 and universally disliked by most students. To be fair, it is a role of service, meeting the needs of the student, and when the dean gets involved, it's because there is a problem. For a people person like Billy, working in a conflict role was difficult. He did the job for six years, but becoming disenfranchised from budding mental health problems and lacking job satisfaction. So at some point he made a huge decision. He was of a certain age, he was unmarried, and he was not planning to be, so he thought to give it all up and travel while developing a mindfulness practice. Now, the laptop lifestyle is a very attractive idea, and it sounds wonderful until you try it. I have a limited experience on the road for a few months in the UK while running this podcast. Finding good Wi-Fi can be really depressing. Billy has been hopping countries since 2021 and our conversation is about that journey of self-discovery. He's travelled extensively in Asia to countries where he knows no one and does not speak the language. Now there's no big finale ending on this conversation as the question is still ongoing. There have been highs, there have been lows and there's still the answer and he still has to answer the question. Does he continue his travels or go back to the States and return to teaching? This conversation will be in two parts, as we did go down a lot of rabbit holes. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Billy La. Billy, thank you so much for being here today. So look, whereabouts are you today? Where are we speaking from?
0: Yeah, I am in Seoul, South Korea. Uh And I just got here on Friday, April 28th, after spending two months in Japan. And then previous to that, I was in Vietnam for two weeks and then singapore for a week uh, before that i was in thailand for six weeks and oh, yeah, I, before can, I, can, that, I can hear my audience I was getting in... <laughs> seriously jealous
1: here uh, but i do know from a little bit of experience the um the laptop lifestyle is not as easy and wonderful as everyone thinks it is
0: it's not it's actually pretty difficult i'm finding especially as someone who's a bit of an extrovert someone who enjoys social interaction the bouncing around week after week or maybe a couple weeks or a month here and month there, I find that I make enough connections with people that I want to stay connected to them, but then inevitably I have to leave. And that's really hard for me because I am very much a relationships person. I'm a connections person. So going from one place to the next, it leaves a little bit of this empty sinking feeling Mm. within me but at the same time i am so grateful for the experiences that they share with me Mm. and the time that we get to spend together because i'm also very much a quality time (coughs) i i am so grateful for the people that i have met along the way and in fact the reason why i continue to come back to soul is because of the connections that i made here the people that i connected with through the soul share meetup group really embraced me and i feel like you know as corny as it is to say like to live authentically to be your authentic self i really feel that i'm allowed to be who i am Mm. and they embrace it and they encourage it they encourage me to live out loud and I, i i continue to gravitate towards soul and when i got back here i felt home because well, it's got you've got some you've
1: got some good connected feelings to it and so it will feel home won't it because it's like it's like you, you have memories and it's always about the story that we run in our head around those memories and things so it's like yeah familiarity and that sort of stuff so look right. let's wind it right back to the beginning this is you know that we know can see where we're going we're going for a man who's obviously adventuring in the world uh, but where did it start where did you grow up and stuff
0: so I grew up in a small town in Minnesota in the United States. So mm-hmm. I, and basically, I'm I'm born and raised in Minnesota. I've spent the first 44 years of my life in Minnesota. I grew up in this small town. And then I went to a college in Duluth, Minnesota. My first job was in Rochester, Minnesota, and then I finally moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota. So I've covered all aspects of Minnesota. I've lived in the small town. I've lived in northern Minnesota. I've lived in southern Minnesota. And I've lived in the metropolis of Minnesota. Ki-
1: I mean, uh, excuse me, forgive my ignorance. What kind you of know? place? What kind of place is Minnesota? Is it uh, very? Is it, is it uh, an industrial town? Is it, uh, what kind of town is it?
0: Yeah, so Minnesota, I would say, is quite rural. Minneapolis is an urban area. It is a metropolitan area. Rochester has the largest hospital in the world in the Mayo Clinic there. Uh, Duluth is a blue-collar city. And where I grew up, I grew up originally on a farm. Now, my sisters will tell you that, well, you didn't do anything on the farm because you were the baby boy and and mom and dad loved you and they didn't tell you to do anything. You were too busy playing sports. All true. All true. I own all of that. So I was more of an intellectual. I like to read. Uh, so I wasn't much of a laborer on the farm. So, so you weren't luckily, the farm boy then. Was, you weren't family. You weren't no, I, the- <laughs> I was not. I was not. I was not. But, no, uh, so let's thing. what kind was the Minnesota dream place.
1: then? If you weren't the farm boy, so you were living in that farm, which is some people say is idyllic. Perhaps it wasn't. Uh, so, what was the, what was the dream? What was it you wanted to be?
0: When I was younger, I very much wanted to be a professional baseball player. <clears> As I got older and I got into high school, I was kind of grooming myself to become a computer programmer solely because my brother-in-law worked for Microsoft and made good money. Mm. So I thought to myself, well, I like sitting on chat rooms and I like writing stories on the computer. So clearly that translates into computer programming. And then about two weeks into college, I was taking Fortran programming and calculus. And I realized if I kept going down this route, I was probably going to fail out of college because Essentially, I was trying to jam a square peg in a round hole. None of these things really fit me. And then I went home one weekend to to visit my high school baseball coach, and he was a health teacher. And he said, hey, do you want to teach class today? And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. So I got up and I led this conversation about the 10 leading causes of death because I remembered from three years prior when I was in his class, we were talking about the 10 leading causes of death and just naturally had this conversation with students who I generally knew because it was a small town. And when I got done, I was like, that was a lot of fun. And he said, well, have you ever thought about being a teacher? And I'm like, "I." I am now, and English was always my favorite subject in high school. I had amazing English teachers all the way through high school, so I went back to school the next week, and I changed my major to secondary English education, and when I went back for my 10-year high school reunion, I remember one of my classmates saying to me, Laura, I'm not surprised that you became a teacher. I could have told you in second grade that you were going to become a teacher, so I feel like I made the right decision For most of my, you know, formative years there, becoming an English teacher.
1: Wow, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fascinating how how those. What is also interesting how other people see it and you don't.
0: Yeah, and I've always railed against this idea of follow your dreams, follow your passions. I don't think that's very good advice to give to anybody. I think it's more important to follow your curiosities and follow your strengths. And if you don't know what your strengths are ask around to other people. Clearly this guy saw what my strengths were and I didn't realize it because I was too busy chasing the money, so to speak, thinking that I was gonna go into computer programming when that wasn't my default uh, strength whatsoever. Mm. But then when I had that opportunity to be in front of a classroom and my baseball coach made me realize that, hey, you know, you enjoyed this, you were kind of a natural at this, Now that you're in college and you're thinking about what you're going to do for work, maybe you found it right here. And I just gravitated towards that. And it's interesting. I'd always been a coach, even in high school in the summer, coaching baseball and that sort of thing. And I always enjoyed that. But I was really, really focused and had tunnel vision on becoming this thing that was not me. And I wonder oftentimes how many people... They they pigeonhole themselves into this one role, and mm. I host my own podcast called the Mindful Midlife Mindful Midlife Crisis. And one of the and the first question we ask all of our guests is, "What are the ten roles that you play in your life?" And it's one of my favorite ways to start a conversation because people will hit you with the 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 big four, or whatever, like you know, father, son, brother, those kind of things, the familial roles. But then they'll get creative with what other roles they play in their life and knowing full well that they play more than 10, but those are the 10 that stand out to them. And then we ask them, what are the three roles that you're most looking forward to in the second half of life? Mm -hmm. It's just really good conversation that way. And I feel like as we think about what roles we do play, then we're able to then live more authentically. We're able to pursue the passions, the curiosities and the strengths that allow us to grow mm. and have this fulfilling experience called life. So you stayed a teacher. You did you? did What did you teach? I taught English for 15 years and then I wanted to have a larger impact on the school community. So I moved into this Dean of Students position. Mm. What I realized is that when you become the Dean of Students, you're always the bad guy. Nobody likes the dean of students. They make movies about the dean of students, and the dean of students is always the bad guy. He's always the villain in those movies, and that's what essentially I became. And I didn't like that. No. I didn't like being for a people the person. person who you would up you, for a people no. person. You wouldn't, would you? <laughs> no, no. I, when you have to call people up and say, you know, hey, your child is in trouble, they don't want to hear that, and so they. They think that it's your fault. And the you child don't look like the dean,
1: students, the dean of Students because the Dean is always a bored guy and he's 50. <laughs> <laughs> I know
0: with this flowing hair here that I have and my boyish <laughs> good looks, I understand why it would be a conflict.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, that, how long did you stay being a Dean of Students?
0: I was the Dean of Students for six years, and oh, that well, was you, part, uh-huh. and that was also during the COVID school years, yeah. too.
1: Oh well, that was tough. And
0: it just became a burnout. And but that isn't necessarily why I left that position. I had always told myself, I'm not married, I don't have any kids. I'm just not interested in in either one of those. <clears throat> so ladies who are out there listening, red flags all around. But uh it's I, I had a dog and I always said, you know, when this dog crosses the rainbow bridge, then I'm gonna take a year leave from this job which was something that was afforded to me in the contract and i'm going to travel around and maybe i'll work overseas maybe i'll teach overseas i had that in my head but then i decided you know what i'm just i want to go visit places i want to see different countries i want to spend significant time in them so in september 2021 i took the leave And then I went to Portugal for two months. I went to Spain for two weeks. I went to Dakar, Senegal for a few days to a surf camp because one of my goals is to paddleboard off the coast of every continent. And then when I got back to the United States, there just wasn't going to be a way for me to transition back into that position as dean of students. So I resigned and continued on with my travels. And I've been doing that ever since. And it's really been a fulfilling experience. But at the same time, it's been a challenging experience because as I kind of come to the end of my travel budget here after nearly two years of traveling, there's going to be some difficult decisions to make. Mm -hmm. Where do I want to live? What am I going to do to make money? Do I want to continue investing money in this podcast? And how long do I continue the podcast going if it's not if I'm not seeing a return on that investment. So there's a lot of things that are going on. I have all these new problems, but I wouldn't trade my new problems for my old problems ever. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we'll dig more into all that stuff. So that's when we start talking
1: on that on your main topic, and we'll dig more into that one. It's like, yeah, it, it is fascinating conversation, this area. So success clearly has been something in your life in terms of that you measured it somehow. How did you determine success? Because it's clearly, you know, you had a position, a job. That obviously wasn't success for you. It was, but not
0: fully. <clears throat> it was success, but it wasn't necessarily fulfillment. Mm. <clears throat> Are they the same or different? Oh, well, that's, that's a good question. Uh, I think when you're looking at, at success, it feels more external and fulfillment feels more internal. Hmm. And if there's a disconnect between those two, then, then no matter how successful you get externally and how you're perceived, they're, they're if you, if there's a disconnect to the fulfillment of it all then you're never going to see yourself as successful now i enjoyed teaching at the beginning then i transitioned into a different program when i moved to a different school and that just wasn't that wasn't the right fit for me it wasn't the right fit for me and it wasn't i wasn't the right fit for my students to be honest and then when I moved into this dean of students position, I don't think that that was that don't that I was good at that job. I was like I was good at that job, but it wasn't the right job for me. Hmm. It just didn't it 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 didn't suit me. And I loved the people that I worked with. I loved my team. They were fantastic. We were worked to to pro- solve problems and to and to help students. But it was at the end of the day, really exhausting to again always be the bad guy. And so, you know, it is for me now <clears throat> experiencing success. Well, how I view my own personal success is being able to afford the opportunities that I want to pursue. <clears throat> so, financial success means that I'm. I'm able to continue doing the things that that give me joy, that that allow me to emphasize my strengths, that allow me to showcase my strengths. Because if I'm not in a position where I'm showcasing my strengths and it affords me the opportunity to do more of those, then I think I'm going to be miserable. Mm. So, so success to me is, it, if we're looking at financial success, It's being able to afford these opportunities. If I'm looking at internal success, am I I satisfied with the choices that I have made? Overall, I I get tired of people saying live life with no regrets. Regret is is a natural emotion. And regret can teach us a lot. We can learn a lot from regret. To say live life with no regret, that's a lot of, expectation to live your life perfectly and live without mistakes i've made all sorts of mistakes i've had i have all sorts of regrets from this trip that i've been on for the last two years but learning from those regrets has taught me to take different Mm. action along the way and i have grown along the way
1: I think in the context of that, isn't it? Really, is that, is that don't don't let thi- don't let thi- don't let your re- things put like, put you off doing something. But you're right, yeah. You know, there there has to be regret. You know, you can regret eating the last chocolate in the box, can't you? Really, there's always going to be regret somewhere in life. That's just it. Well, I mean, what is interesting? What you're saying, I like the idea that you've you've taken away that you've you've separated fulfilment from success because we all have to have a determination what success means for us. And success does not necessarily have to be the big car, the big house, the big this, the, 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 the. It can just be having a nice day. It can just be having, it it can just be having a good relationship with someone or having that amazing conversation somewhere. You know, for me, having a good podcast is a
0: successful day. There's no money in it. It's
1: just a successful
0: day. Right, right. And I think too, when we look at success, in as I'm now, transitioning into becoming a mindfulness teacher Mm. that we look at success in the present as as a moment to moment we can Mm. look at success just like we look at breath your breath is with you each moment so what what is that breath like in the moment and then what does the next breath look like in the moment so what is what does success look like in the moment and you kind of touched on it right now, we're having this conversation and this feels like a success to me. The mm-hmm. fact that I get to be a guest on your show is a level of success for me. The, the fact that I get to be in Seoul, South Korea is a level of success for me. Mm-hmm. And those are moment to moment. So what success looks like from day to day, I think is is more crucial to appreciating than what success looks like overall mm. and again, it kind of goes to I, I really hate cliches, but you know it's that idea of uh it's 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 not how many breaths you take in life but how many you know moments in your life take your breath away that kind of thing yeah but that's a lovely so, that
1: is a lovely cliche it is. It, it is it is a
0: lovely cliche it is a lovely cliche and as we break down those individual moments in our life then that's how we view success mm. and again that's the external so then for me the fulfillment is Extending gratitude mm. to those external moments because that then is where I, where I stay grounded and I don't allow myself to spiral too much in a tornado of negativity. Now, the last two weeks that I spent in Japan when I was in, in Tokyo, I, I, my mental health took a dip. I was really struggling with my mental health. I was extremely stressed out. I was overwhelmed by a lot that was, that was happening. And all these thoughts that I was trying to all these all these transitions that I'm that I'm navigating right now. So I was spiraling a bit. And I feel very fortunate that that I'm working with a, a therapist through BetterHelp who has been fantastic. And she just basically said, What can you leave for Seoul so that you can be present here and for the rest of your time in Tokyo? And when she said that. It just flipped a switch for me. And I was Mm. like, oh, there are things that I can, I have told myself that I'm going to be more productive when I get to Seoul because I'm no longer going to feel like a tourist in Seoul because I've been here for, for six months prior and now I'm coming back for two more. There isn't really anything that I need to seek out while I'm in Seoul. There's no need to be a tourist. And I'm back in the same Airbnb that I was. So there's a sense of familiar- familiarity. There's a level of comfort right there. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, we too often villainize this idea of the comfort zone, to get out of your comfort zone. And I, I rail against that, too, because I think people who are in their comfort zone feel more authentic in themselves, but they also feel more comfortable than to take a risk. If you're not in your comfort zone, then you're striving to get into your comfort zone and you're less likely to take a risk. So let's let people chill out in their comfort zone for a little while so that they can just feel good Mm. for just a little while. Mm. And then as long as they're mindful that, oh wait, this comfort is starting to feel a lot like complacency. And that's where, as we practice mindfulness, we can, we can recognize that, Oh, okay. This comfort feels more like complacency, but because I'm, I'm in this place, I feel comfortable enough to take a risk. So, Let's get into our comfort zones. Let's stop telling people to constantly get out of their comfort zones. Let's get into our comfort. Because my thing is I don't think people I don't think people avoid taking healthy risks because they're too comfortable. I think they avoid taking healthy risks because they're uncomfortable with themselves. So get comfortable with yourself. And then when we get into complacency mode, then you need to make a switch. Then you mm. need to take a calculated, healthy risk.
1: There's a lot to unpack there, but I'm not gonna go there yet. I'm gonna, gonna keep my powder dry. <laughs> <laughs> so let's look like at contribution. Clearly, there, I mean, when you, when you worked in the, in the colleges, you contributed to your students. But how do you see you contributing to the world?
0: That's a lovely question. And it can be small, I, but it doesn't have to be big. And, and you know, what's funny is I wrestle with that. How big of the contribution do I need to make? <clears throat> and I think right now I'm making small contributions by sharing how excited I am and sharing the benefits and sh- of mindfulness. One of the nicest things anyone has ever said to me is, Billy, the reason why I like you is because when you're excited about something, you want everybody else to be excited about it too. Mm. And because I had such success with not only changing my life, but kind of saving my life too through my mindfulness practice, I thought, man, if this is if this is having such an impact on me, someone who's very intense, someone who feels anxious often... Then, and I have this this skill, this strength of being a teacher, then maybe I need to learn as much as I can about mindfulness, continue practicing mindfulness, get more curious about the impact mindfulness can have on our emotional health, how it can impact our relationships, the way that we communicate, the way that we are open to other people's experiences how we are compassionate to other people's experiences if i learn more about that then i can use that to change the world and mm. i'm changing the world through very small quantities in that right now i'm i'm just starting off on this new endeavor so i just have a few clients that i'm working with but they're they're telling me that I, when we do these sessions, I just feel better. And then we have we have these discussions. I feel better. I it, when we have these conversations, it it opens my mind to other opportunities. It opens my minds to my mind to different perspectives. And I'm a naturally curious person. That's why I like hosting a podcast. So, in order to it 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 just feels validating hmm. to know that on a very <clears> small scale, what I am teaching is having an impact. Just like when I was teaching English, I was using, the, I mean, idealistically, again, when I was teaching, I thought that I was making the world a better place, and I was using literature, and I was using my classroom as the setting and the tool for that. Now, I'm still trying to make the world a better place, but I'm just using a different tool, and this tool is mindfulness.:
1: mm. So flipping that on its head, because to me, contribution is a double-sided coin. There's a contribution to the world, and there's the contribution to yourself. Now, you've been traveling for a while, so that's a big contribution to yourself. but how, so what, but what do you see as, as as important as in contribution to you?
0: continuing to explore the curiosities and the strengths that I have to seek out ways to evolve so on the my on my show I talk a lot about reflect learn grow and to me that is crucial i had a guest on his name is eric romanak he's a personal trainer and he wrote a book called uh Uh, live better, die slower. And basically his whole philosophy was move or die. And it kind of goes to this idea that what we think of was sharks, like that sharks need to continually swim or they die. So it's not that I'm always moving because I know how to take rest, but in a sense that rest is allowing me to also grow. Mm-hmm. So continuing to just seek out opportunities, especially connections. I, I feel so much fulfillment when I find people and have wonderful conversations like the one that we're having. And and, and a, a compliment to you. I've really enjoyed so far the questions that you've asked me so far because they've, they've been a different spin on things. And though I've kind of talked about this stuff on other shows, the way that you phrase questions lights me up a little bit. And, and that, then th- this conversation is, is a contribution to myself that I get to have conversations with wonderful people from all walks of life, from all over the world. And to me that, that fills my bucket. Hmm.
1: And that's the thing about this question, it's about, are we aware, because some people give, 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 and they don't actually take time to receive, and that's, that's why I kind of put that question in. So, moving us on to the kind of, the big question, which is like, it is the ultimate question, is like, what's it all for? What's the meaning of it all for you? I mean, for some people, that's a spiritual aspect. Some people that's a, that's there's a there's a religion and a theology behind it. And other people, there's nothing. So, but where does it fit? Where do you fit in that scale?
0: <clears throat> I used to teach a class called "Humanity's Search for Meaning," where <clears throat> I would have my oh, students explore them. On the. You're an expert uh, on the subject. We, We've never had we an expert. before. Uh,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> where we would explore various meanings in life and we would have you know we would we would take a look at the five major faiths that are out there and and then we would take a look at some of these sub faiths that are out there and and you know why do people gravitate towards these what meaning are they seeking through religion through spirituality and then after we do all this exploration of seeking out meaning in life then i hand them kemu's the stranger which basically says there is no meaning in life. And, and they're like, wait, what? And it's like, well, we got to explore all sides of this, right? We need to explore all sides that maybe there isn't meaning in our existence. So I feel like the meaning of life is not universal, but the meaning of life is within ourselves. And for me, my meaning... My purpose is is based in the relationships that I make with others and the connections that I make with others. My hope is that sharing my experiences offers people the... It opens up a door for other people to share their experiences. I really believe that people, they want... They want a platform to share their experiences. They want to be heard. And I want to give as many people as possible a platform to share their stories. Now, do they all need to be on my podcast? No, they don't. But having a conversation with people is really fulfilling to me. So I feel like providing a platform for people to share their experiences whether it's in a one-to-one conversation, or whether it's on on a podcast where you know people can listen to it from all over the world, that's my meaning. Mm. And in and in conjunction with that, providing some sort of, uh, you know, like a different take, or getting them to ex- expand on on the way that they are seeing things, challenge them on the way they are seeing things, asking them to clarify what they mean. That to me, it, it, it pushes. I'm, I'm a habitual line stepper. I like to step to the line. I like to push people's limits, but I also know where to respect people's boundaries too. So to me, that gives me a lot of, a, a lot of joy. It gives me a lot of pleasure in having people or having conversations with people and getting them going on something and saying, all right, that's interesting. But just like how you said to me, Paul, let's flip that on the, on its head a little bit and getting them to look at the other side. My favorite quote comes from Walt Whitman and it's, do I contradict myself? Very well. Then I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. I feel like that's how we all should approach life is that we should look at all angles of life and constantly be contradicting ourselves because then that means that we are living an enriched life and we're embracing kind of the uncertainty of it. We're open and we're curious to learn more to it. And then in turn, we become compassionate as well
1: great answer i mean i i just and i've had hundreds of different answers and i've never spoken to someone that has studied it which is fascinating
0: What I don't I know find... that that makes me an expert, but well, I, I'll I find... take it. I'll take it.
1: <laughs> okay. well, I, you're very... What I, I love about this podcast with you, you're very eloquent. You really, oh. really structure your answers beautifully. And there's no urs and ums, it's even better. So thank you so much for being so eloquent in the way you speak on this stuff. <laughs> thank you. What I find is fascinating about all of this is that, you know, Whatever we look out there, there is actually no evidence of any of it. Whether any faith, there's no evidence for absolutely any of it. It could just as easily be a big virtual reality machine, and all of it's true. that's <laughs> you know, what makes me like, yeah, you know, oh, this is the truth. No, it could be that truth. Everything you look at could be. And I just think it's so fascinating that life looks like this when I explore this stuff.
0: I hope it's, I hope we're not living in the matrix. That would be a real bummer. I think for me at the end of everything to find out that, ah, oh, I was plugged into something the entire time. I hope that's not the case. Yes, I but very you much paid the, you the
1: operator a good deal because look at the life you've created. I mean, <laughs> that you... is very true. That is very true. Yes.
0: Yes. The first, the first half of my life has been extraordinary, especially the last two years. And though i'm a bit concerned about what life is like going to be like here the second half of life there is a real part of me. I, i'm someone who likes structure i like knowing what tomorrow is going I got to a minute. Like.
1: How, all right I love, how can you like structure and then oh i love structure give it all, up, give it all up i worked in I'm education going... I
0: worked in education for 21 years, so bells told me when to start and st- end <laughs> my day. You I had
1: Pablo's dog, really. <laughs> I, I knew,
0: I knew, I knew I had 51 minutes to get this lesson in. So I love structure. I absolutely when you go on vacation with me, I've got spreadsheets and charts and maps galore. And so this is new to me. Mm. This free-willing. What am I going to do tomorrow? is all new to me. And I think that it speaks to some of the challenges that I've been experiencing because again, this is part of a huge life transition for me right now. And so I'm trying to grow accustomed to this uncertainty. And as I look back now, as, and it, it, this is why it's nice to, to talk out loud about your thoughts. As I look back on these two weeks that I had that were really difficult for me in Tokyo, I was ruminating about uncertainty. Ruminating over about this uncertainty of what is life going to be like when I get back to the States. And it preoccupied me. It preoccupied me for for two weeks and I got stuck in it. But luckily I had my therapist Lacey to to get me unstuck. And I think, you know, people might say, well, if you practice mindfulness and you're traveling the world, what do you need a therapist for? It's, it's because even coaches need to be coached. All head coaches in any sport have assistant coaches around them. So you need someone to help you see something in a different way, to give you a different perspective. Because all of us, all of us get tunnel vision at some point. So then who's going to be the one that says, hey, we're no longer in the tunnel yeah, look con- around
1: you get confirmation bias don't you that's what happens exactly
0: exactly <clears throat> i mean you, you get spinning around mm. in this tornado of negativity and and it's like well you know, <clears throat> this is going to happen and what about this and what about this and you you catastrophize and everything, everything
1: and everything you see all the all the information you take in you confirm your your worst suspicions and fears and so uh, and and people get this with like illnesses. Oh, I've got a bit of pain there. Oh, well, it's definitely cancer, you know. And, and, and then and, and right, then the mind builds on that one, and then whoa, before you know it, you're planning your funeral. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not which doing is not, that yet. Which is not a bad thing to do, I should say. Actually, I, I we, we had a guest on last week, and we we're talking about talks about. Pre planning that aspect of life so that you get to enjoy the life you have while you are leading it,
0: and I like that. It, it goes back to it, harkens back to I think is it Stephen Covey who talks about begin with the end in mind. Yeah, and so you know, at the end of the, at the end of my life, what are the things that I'm that I want to have accomplished? To mm. have accomplished, right? Now, are there going to be things? In, but we need to be careful then not to live by a checklist. And listen, I'm a bucket lister. I like bucket lists. But I think I think bucket lists should be the healthy risks that we take. I don't think bucket lists should be accomplishments. I had a I had two guests on there, the loveliest women I've ever met. Uh, they ha- they host a podcast called Trash the Checklist. And that's what they talked about. Dr. Yolanda Holloway, Tiffany Bird And they talked about this life checklist of go to a college, meet your mate, get married, have kids, get your get a job. You know, uh, all those things. These life checklists that society seems to project onto us. It's
1: the American dream that is. That's that's the American which have exported across the world.
0: Agreed, and I fell into that trap too. Well, we all do. We're because, supposed to. <laughs> yeah, because I thought I thought that I wanted to have the two and a half kids and the white picket fence and live in suburbia. And then when I was thirty five, I I dated this woman who did not want to have kids, and I was like, "Wait, that's an option." I didn't know that that was an option because I grew up in small town Minnesota, rural. Mm where if you were, if you were single and you were, if you weren't married by the time you were 23, you were ugly. Like nobody, clearly nobody wants you. Right. So there was this pressure uh, that came from just that small town, small live, small life of, well, this is just how everybody does things. You, You get married at 23, you have kids and then, you know, you just live your simple life. It happens and everywhere. It, was, it
1: happens everywhere. I mean, in my family years ago, every family party it was when you're settling down. Then, you know, so what's the plan? You know, who, who is she? Uh, mm. <laughs> and I feel
0: very fortunate <laughs> that my parents never put that kind of pressure on me. They never, they never put that kind of pressure on me. So I, I feel very grateful that they've supported some of these. You know, these adventures that I've gone on and, and kind of lived vicariously through it. It saddens mm. me a little bit that they live vicariously through it. I didn't start traveling until I was 37. I didn't have a passport until I was 37. So, and I'm 45 now. So in the <clears> grand scheme of things, this is relatively new. I remember teaching kids who had been to 10 different countries by the time they were 16, 17 years old. What? like our idea of a vacation was renting a cabin in the same hometown in which I lived. We didn't even leave my hometown to go on vacation. So, you know, it's just kind of living small in that way, but it feels really good to have, to have stretched out my comfort zone. And, you know, I railed against getting outside of your comfort zone, I'm a big believer in stretching out the pizza dough of your comfort zone. That <laughs> that it comes from within because you push pizza dough from inside, right? You push pizza dough out from inside, just like you stretch your comfort zone from inside. I remember someone asked me, "Well, d- like when you pull pizza dough, then it's, there's this break. I'm like, what kind of heathen pulls pizza <laughs> dough from the outside? You pull pizza dough from the outside? You push it from the inside, and it stretches. You, you and it move takes the more... air towards yeah. the outside. You move the yeah, air it, and if
1: you stretch it. You just break the bubble. So, like, oh, look, to two, to two older, experienced pizza men here. It's like, Do you know, this yeah. must be a thing, isn't it? I, once upon a time, we would be talking about burgers, but these days, we talk about pizzas. It's just that sort of the and that was part one of my conversation with Billy Lar. In part two, which will be available tomorrow, we explore his journey of and through mindfulness. Lots of fantastic tips in there. So if you're not following this podcast, click the follow button so you get the notification as soon as that podcast drops. And that was Life, Passion and Business with Paul Harvey and my guest, Billy Lar. If you would like to connect with Billy, you can find him on Instagram... That's the Mindful Midlife Crisis. You can find them on Facebook. There's a Facebook group. The link for that will be in the show notes. You can also find them on LinkedIn. Billy La, that's L-A-H-R. There's also a website, which is mindfulmidlifecrisis.com. Now, all those links will be available at the website, lifepassionandbusiness.com. Okay, as I mentioned at the beginning, now is a time to discover how to find some more focus in your life and get things done. Okay, so we're all looking to move forward. We all want to find some measure of success in the world. And if you've heard the podcast, you know I have a view of success, but that's another conversation. The point is, however you look at this, we want to get things done. You might want to get a project over the line. You might have a really big goal that you're looking to, to move, to move forward on. And the problem is, whenever we start these projects, whenever we do anything like this, there's always some resistance. There's always something that gets in the way and that can be a multitude of things and but the key to this is how do we retain focus and stay with the project and push it over the line and that's where focus coaching can help. Now it's a a process that I discovered some 15 years ago during my coach training and it's something sometimes called focus coaching, turbo coaching, speed coaching and it's a really simple process where we we define what it is you're trying to achieve and we look at the resistance that you're experiencing in that achievement come up with some strategies to solve that resistance commit to setting a date and i hold your feet to the fire to make sure that you do that so there's a commitment there's an accountability process and that's it that's basically how it works you get it done And I can tell you, it is so powerful when you start working in this way, particularly when you work with someone who supports you in the process of doing it. And one thing to remember, you know, success is never guaranteed, but the struggle always is. And that's what this coaching is designed to do. It's designed to get you through the struggle towards the success you're looking for. So do check out the uh, link on this podcast or at the website, lifepassionandbusiness.com, you will find a video of me again explaining this process. But if you go below the video, there's a booking link where we'll have a discussion about your project and how we could get you sorted. As always, if you have enjoyed this podcast, if you found anything here of any use, please share it with a friend because that's how people like yourself find good podcasts if you can give us a review give us a five-star review i have to ask for five stars why not i think i'm worth it when you support a podcast in that way you have no idea how effective it is both in terms of supporting us on the platform but it also makes us feel good yes it makes me feel good and i like to feel good as always thank you for your time and attention i will catch you next time